Broadcasting from Alito to Alton, from Champaign to Chicago, and from Robinson to Rockford, this is the Sports Spectacular, powered by IlliniGuys.com. And how about that as we get into the month of April, Final Four weekend, Larry Smith, Mike Kegley, Brad Sturdy, great to have you here uh, along for the ride. And what a ride it has been, um, unprecedented as we now uh, focus this weekend on Houston uh, and the big dome down there. Um, and the first time ever that we have a Final Four with no one seeds, no two seeds, and no three seeds. Uh, and millions of busted brackets worldwide. That's just the way it is. It is the madness of March. Uh, but guys, I got to tell you, this has been one of the most thrilling tournaments that I can remember. This is always a fun time of year, and, and we're all big fans, and we love that. But uh, the fact that that nothing was ever given, um, that even the big boys couldn't make it happen, I think this made for a fantastic event. No, no question. And I think that it's really cool. I think that I was looking at the other day, I think the last, was it last four Final Fours, it's 16 different teams. Yeah. How yeah. cool is that? I mean, like, it means that everybody has a chance. And, and I think that's one thing that you look at some of the sports that are, like that it's it's great and college basketball has become like that it didn't used to be like that let's be honest i mean you have a one cinderella story this time we got four you know so it's much fun, much more fun and then the other part about this is the games have been fantastic like i mean they're coming down to the wire you've got crunch time plays and you know so many big shots it's just been fun and it's been the most fun i've had watching a tournament like there's a lot of times you'd see a game in the past where i'd say yeah this game's not even now i'm like i have to watch this game because something crazy might happen so i can't miss it i can't afford to miss it yeah and it's kind of become the antithesis of what's happening in college football where you know you you can almost always pencil in you know, two or three of the of the final four, you know, so to speak. Uh, and now we've got an opportunity here where, you know, a few people had UConn out there and maybe a, a rare person had Miami. But, you know, when you talk San Diego State and FAU, I mean, you're talking some real Cinderella stories. And it's it's just something that I think when you could turn on a game and now we can see a 16 seed beat a one seed. It, you have to tune in because there are there's nothing you can take for granted. Yeah. First year ever that a 15 seed and a 16 seed won in the same year. Uh, and that follows up last year where you had a 15 seed go to the Elite Eight, which is the farthest that those you know lower seeds had had ever gone. Um, we're gonna see history no matter who wins. In this, there's never been a five seed win an NCAA championship. Miami and San Diego fit there. Um, the lowest, uh, worst seed ever to win the title was Villanova back in '85. The first year they expanded to 64 teams. FAU is a nine seed, and then there's UConn, which um, it's positioned right now to become you know the next dynasty if you think about it. Um, you've got five different NCAA, uh, five different colleges have won. Um, uh, uh, multiple NCAA championships, right? Well, UConn can become the first to win five titles in a 25-year span with three different coaches. You know, uh, you know, Kentucky's won theirs over, you know, their, you know, over the entire lifetime of the NCAA tournament, but, you know, it, it was over 50 years, over 60 years where it happened. But you've got Calhoun with three, then he leaves, Ollie comes in in 2014, and now Dan Hurley is two wins away. 
Um, I mean, it is no matter who you want to root for, there's a reason to root for that team. Yeah, it's really amazing if you think about it. And you can even condense it a little more. I mean, I, I think you can you can go back to it's been in the last 12 years that they've won three national – if they win, it'd be 12 years, three national titles, three different coaches. Yeah, yeah. That's insane. I mean, you think about that. Like, it's not that somebody won three times in 12 years. It's that three different people won. Yeah. And and one of those people was Kevin Ollie, which makes it even more <laughs> astonishing, right? I mean – so, you know, it just goes to show you sometimes it's, you know, they've done a great job, obviously, at UConn to make the, their basketball program relevant. But also, it just goes to show you that, you know, it's it's not just one coach. It's not just it, – it's like a program. Programs win. And, you know, if you have a quality coach and you have a good program with good support, you have a chance. Yeah, and, and backers of Purdue, Houston, and Illinois would just like to win one, let alone – three over 12 years with three different coaches. So you can see that it, the other thing that's really interesting is, is the, the teams that start going on a regular basis, that's what it's going to take to get a, to get one of these runs going is you have to, you know, you can't win if you don't play. It's a little bit like, like the lottery. So these 68 teams, it's like a golden ticket and you really have a chance to cash it in for the first time ever. My favorite, my favorite quote about this whole thing was somebody said, "Coach, a coach can never win in March until he wins in March." You know, Dan Hurley's a good example, right? Because two first, you know, what he won, lost in the first round the last two times they were in the NCAA tournament, and and you know now as a five seed, seven seed, now as a four seed, he's the favorite to win the national title. Now, oh, Dan Hurley's a, a genius. Right. A year ago, they're running running him out of town because he was an idiot. So you know, it just goes to show you that it. Just one lightning in a bottle, and you're ready to go. Yeah, yeah. It uh, winning in March it it atones for a lot of sins, right? I mean, you know, all of a sudden, like you said, you're now you're a genius. And if he wins the title, he is, you know, I mean, or any of these coaches, if if they do, I mean, it's just I saw Larinaga was on uh, Pardon the Interruption, and that was a big thing about you know, hey, what if and what if and um, you know, but it's it's exciting too. Uh, all of these coaches have ties um, to Final Fours and previous championships. Brian Dutcher. Um, you know, actually was an assistant on that 1989 Michigan team when Steve Fisher took over. He's got not only that championship ring, but two other Final Four rings and is, um, you know, responsible for recruiting uh, the Fab Five. And so uh, look at what all that he has done. Uh, Larry Nega, a couple of, uh, uh, of Final Fours with Virginia. Uh, of course, another one with George Mason. I mean, it goes on and on. And then, of course, Dusty May, uh, who has a calm demeanor that is the antithesis of his one-time boss in Indiana, Bob Knight. And uh, <laughs> yet there they are winning his team in division one this year. That's already guaranteed Florida Atlantic, the owls, um, which I had to go look up their gym seats less than 3000 people. Well, it's Florida. like a high school gym. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. If he, if even that uh, Florida Atlantic, by the way, um, founded on an old army airfield down in Boca Raton. I mean, all kinds of little tidbits. Cause I'm, I used to work in West Palm Beach. I was in that gym once. I can't believe that gym is now the home to a Final Four team. It's uh, small enough that they could actually have real owls living up in the rafters. <laughs> and maybe they will. Exactly. Hey, before we take a quick break, let's let's because we we got a packed show that we're going to get to here. Uh, your your game of the tournament. What what is your, what is the game that was the best game of the tournament? Oh, um, man, there's just so many to choose from. I mean. 
I got to go with the Kansas State game in Madison Square Garden when they beat Michigan State. That was the game, mm. right? Overtime, just Marquise Noel with 19 assists and whatever. I mean, just what a game that was in Madison Square Garden as well. Yeah, and, and I, there, there were so many. I, I got to be honest with you. San Diego State beating Alabama was one because I just didn't see them being able to pull it off. And then I couldn't turn the channel because – I wanted to see them being able to pull it off. Yeah. I mean, obviously fairly Dickinson, Purdue, uh, Princeton over Arizona, the, the tiniest of, of, of seeds, uh, David knocking off Goliath. Uh, I, I love those games. I'm going to go to um, the Florida Atlantic in the regional final um, beating K state that just, that you know, nobody believed. And every single turn people want to see them lose to the 16 seed fairly Dickinson want to see them lose uh, in the Sweet 16, when they kept rooting against them, uh, and they beat Tennessee, even though the center kept trying to knock out, you know, the Owls center. Um, despite all that, they still get the win, and uh, so the Owls they fly on. Hey, we have got—I'm not kidding—so much coming up. Jerry Palm of CBSSports.com is going to come back, and yes, he's a Purdue grad. We're going to ask him about <laughs> Purdue, so stay. We'll get his answer on that. Ooh. Matt Brown of ExtraPointsMB.com talking NIL and a really great conversation. You really want to stick around for that. Um, we'll also talk women's basketball as well. Um, NCAA tournament time. They've got a final four. And uh, of course, college football is in the spring session. Stick around. No reason to go anywhere. Stay with us. We've got all that coming up right here. At Busey Bank, we understand you have a vision for your future and we're committed to helping you achieve your dreams. Since 1868, we've invested in recruiting and retaining the best and brightest associates. Busey's unique culture is one that values and supports you, provides opportunities for growth, and is much more than a job. It's a career. Build relationships, build community, and build your career at Busey Bank. Proud to be the official bank of the Fighting Illini. Right back here on the show, uh, NCAA Final Four weekend. And, uh, boy, a lot of talk, of course, about that here in the show. I want to talk about uh, NIL, name, image, likeness, in case you are not aware. Um, you're about to become aware because it's 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 become a very big deal, and it's about to um, – if it hasn't completely changed it already – uh, it's going to change it even more here in the next uh, couple of years here down the line. Matt Brown is the publisher of Extra Points. You can find this good work at extrapointsmb.com. Matt, good to talk to you again. I have you back on the show. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. Okay, name, image, likeness. And, of course, to explain again, this is where student athletes can actually get paid and, and make money based on their name, image, and or likeness. Um, we're a couple of years into this now. How are you seeing um, – what changes are you seeing from your vantage point with this? Sure. So I, I think when we're talking about NIL, it, it's important to realize that there's really two different kinds of markets that are happening right now that, that impact different kinds of athletes. We have a NIL activity that is centered around brands or camps or companies that are working with an athlete because they actually want to get some kind of advertising benefit out of it. Uh, for my newsletter, which you know covers off the field forces in college athletics, I've paid over a dozen athletes to promote my newsletter. And I do that not because I care very deeply about Ohio State fencing or Notre Dame pole vaulting or Alabama women's basketball. I'm doing that because I'm trying to buy access to their social audiences and and and, and have an advertising campaign. When you see Dr. Pepper, you see Buffalo Wild Wings or even Adidas announce a deal with a college athlete, which many of them have done over the last year, 
That's what they're doing. That marketplace exists. It is growing. Athletes in the Big Ten are able to take advantage of it. Uh, arguably, women athletes are able to disproportionately take advantage of this market because they tend to be better at social media than their, mer- their, their male counterparts, uh, and there isn't the same professional sports opportunity available for them. That's one market. We also have another market that you might hear, you might read as uh, called roster value NIL. I call it bagman NIL. Uh, it's a lot of what collective-based activity is, and that is an athlete signing a deal um, generally to either remain at an institution or enroll at a different institution, and that value has much more to do with their athletic success than it does their own marketability. We have to pretend and call it an NIL deal. What it really is is a salary or a talent acquisition fee, and what we're going to see here over the coming weeks, particularly in college basketball with the transfer portal, as athletes are deciding where to go next, those kind of NIL deals through collectives are going to be very, very important. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you you laid it out that way. And and boy, that is about as succinct and concise as I've ever heard this explained. So kudos to you. Uh, and that's why we enjoy talking to you, because you always sure. have the, uh, the great talent to do that. Um, it, it is amazing, I think, now more than ever, because now we we've had it right it's this for a couple of seasons and so uh players kind of now are understanding a little more how to navigate this Uh, i think the collectives as you mentioned that um are not supposed to be uh affiliated with university but i think we'd be naive if universities didn't know what's going on with that i mean let's just you'll call it what it is um but it's interesting now that you're you know i'm we're seeing some players actually get mad because this player got so much money and I didn't get that much money. So I'm going to leave. And, and they're actually, we're hearing stories of players actually negotiating through third parties to find out how much NIL money they can get at X school. And so literally the highest bidder, a lot of times is going to win. So it becomes a bidding war for players who under the guys allegedly are still amateur athletes. That is exactly what's happening. And, and we have we have agents that are trying to do that, do that exact thing. And it's typically a different agent pool than you have representing athletes in, in the NFL or the NBA. They're generally not certified the same way, but that's part of their job, right? Like, hey, if I'm an agent representing a, a basketball player at Iowa and I'm going to get a 20, 25, 30% cut of whatever deal that they end up getting from a collective or some other brand, I should be shopping them around and I can make phone calls to these other collectives or see what's out there. Now, you're right. All of that is supposed to be against NCAA policy. The NCAA has told told schools this is against policy. And eventually, we're going to open up investigations and we're going to start penalizing people for this. One of the open questions is, can the NCAA actually do that without being sued? Right. We've been doing this for a year and a half. They sent out lots of clarifying memos. They've only issued one policy. It was for a slap on the wrist. It wasn't even for recruiting inducement. It was for Miami women's basketball and uh, improperly introducing athletes to a booster. So that is why the NCAA, and when I say the NCAA, I don't just mean Charlie Baker and I don't just mean Indianapolis. I also mean presidents and athletic directors at the school level, including right here in the Big Ten. All of these people are asking Congress to change laws in part to make it easier for them to regulate NIL because there is concern right now if they try to do it without Congress, they're going to face another antitrust lawsuit and they're probably going to lose. Mm-hmm. It's to me, I feel like the NCAA, it's 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 a day late, a dollar short. Um, you know, I think about I go back to the issue with Kelvin Sampson back in the late 2000s when he was at Indiana 
and he was brought up for a number of violations involving cell phone usage. Ironically, those rules now are antiquated because of cell phone use. They're no, those what he did is no longer a crime in the NCAA. But I recall talking to someone in the in the competition committee, and they said we're all watching this very closely because if the NCAA doesn't come down really hard on him, it's going to be wild, wild west. Um, he did end up serving a show cause. The Indiana program, as we know, nearly burnt to the ground. I mean, Tom Green told me he spent the first six weeks on campus as the new coach playing tutor because they had no players yeah. and they had were about to flunk out. I mean, there's a lot of issues. Uh, Kelvin Sampson did the Indiana program. No, no favors. It feels like, but that was the, to me, the, the watershed moment that probably wasn't noticed by mainstream America, America or most college basketball fans, um, because it began where the NCAA, we don't, you really can't really touch us. And by the time you get to us, it's so many years down the line, I've already gotten my final four or won my national title. Um, Louisville 2013. And so that's, I guess that's my next thing is that where Congress and the NCAA kind of pushed, kicked this down the can um, as both are are known to do. Um, Now you've got a moment where I'm not sure what you can do outside of really stringent, strict policies, what can be done to, to rein this in? Um, Probably nothing, right? There's the NCAA itself does not have the capacity, investigative capacity to really go after a lot of these. And they might not have the legal not not just legal capacity, like legal right Standing, yeah. to regulate these, right? Like if you're saying we're going to strike down every NIL deal that doesn't line up with fair market value, you're going to get a, a lawsuit on your desk in four days for breaking the Sherman Antitrust Act. And so that that's that's part of the issue. There is, in fact, going to be a congressional hearing about NIL tomorrow morning within the House. I imagine that there will be additional committee hearings later this spring and early summer in the U.S. Senate. It is unlikely, not impossible, but I would say unlikely, that there ends up being significant college sports legislation passed this year. That, that's 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 going to be something that the NCAA was pushing for. The I'll tell you, the only thing, in my professional opinion, that would rein some of this in or bring order to this mechanism, is for big time universities to be honest and 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 point this out and and simply say, we will pay the athletes directly. We have been pretending that athletes have not had financial value for 80 years, and you and I and God and everybody listening to the show knows, of course they did, and we would just pay people under the table to kind of get people to the college they want to go. Now that world is evolving towards more over the table. We're just calling it NIL, and I'm making you know finger quotes here with my hands, and there's a, a whole new ecosystem of agents and consulting companies and marketing firms, some legitimate, some not, that are participating in that. But fundamentally, they're doing that because Illinois can't pay the athlete, because Northwestern can't pay the athlete. And if Illinois came out and said, listen, the honest thing to do here is to recognize that if you're going to play basketball for the University of Illinois, uh, you provide enough value and we're going to pay you $95,000 a year. And we're going to make you maybe not an employee, but like a, a contractor. And if we're going to pay you, then we don't need to worry about these other guys paying you. That will dry up a lot of that third party market. It's not something schools want to do. They're worried about athletes becoming employees. They're worried about the legal repercussions of that. But if you're not prepared to do that, and if you can't convince the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House to bail you out, and that's going to be hard to do because Republicans can barely elect a House Speaker right now, let alone figure out what what an NIL is for folks that don't care about college sports, (laughs) then this is the reality that you're living in. It doesn't matter what the rules say. Like This is real life. 
And then you have to figure out how you want to engage with that real life right now. Yeah, we may we may go to 15 ballots uh, it's to determine NIL rules as well, right? Yeah, and, yeah basically. And let's, also, let's also say, listen, you know, with no, with, you know, with all due respect to all of our men and women, uh, you know, in Congress, how many actually know about college athletics and understand kind of what this is all about? To your point, we're That's talking exactly it. Yeah, talk with Matt Brown. Make sure we get a, a everyone knows in case they just tuned in. Matt Brown, publisher of uh, Extra Points, extrapointsmb.com. Um, always great to kind of give us some perspective on this. We've got the final four here. And, you know, a great example um, of a team that's really a, a program that's figured out, although you just mentioned their name a moment ago with the women's program, yeah. um, is University of Miami uh, down in Coral Gables. Jim Laranega, outstanding coach. He joins Hugh Durham as the only coaches to take two different schools to their first final fours, Hugh Durham with Florida state and Georgia back in the seventies and eighties. And, um, and now, uh, Larry Nagas on it with, of course, George Mason in 2006 and now with Miami. Um, but you look at those two of the star players that I recognize right away. Maybe there's more Nigel pack, uh, took a, a nice, uh, NIL deal to come from Kansas state, which irritated his now backcourt running mate, Isaiah Wong, who was already there and said, I don't get that kind of money. Um, and then there's the, there's the guy, Norshad uh, Omir, who just had two outstanding seasons at Arkansas State. Um, yep. You could see he was a player I saw early on as a sophomore playing for them, thinking he'll take NIL money and go somewhere. And now here he is in the Final Four. Um, I, I think right now there is great parity in college basketball. 16 different teams in the past four Final Fours, which is incredible, representing 10 different conferences. Um, we've never seen that before. Or if we have, if my math is wrong, it's very rare. And I think this just go to that where you can literally buy a new team if you've got the right, the right bag and can get the right players. Um, you can transform your team instantly. And we saw that with them and with Kansas State as well, the team they beat, uh, the team that FAU beat uh, in the Elite Eight. Yeah, I, the, I, I understand this is going to be a very popular narrative, and there is some truth to that. Um, I, would, I would caution and say, yes, Miami is in the Final Four for the first time this year. And yes, this, this was a program that was it was very high profile and having some of their athletes get significant NIL money. They will they may have one of the higher payrolls in college basketball this year. But they're also playing in the final four with FAU, who I would imagine their total NIL budget is whatever I've got in my wallet right now. This is not a bunch <laughs> of McDonald's All-Americans. They were not primarily built through the transfer portal. This is a bunch of two stars. They're also in the same thing here as with San Diego State. And San Diego State is a very transfer-heavy roster, but they're also weren't bringing in guys making five hundred grand. It's it's a little bit of guys that you know showed some promise in one place, but weren't really a good fit, and and we're we're not five-star people. There's no NBA you know, projected first-round picks or second-round picks on either of those teams, and we have other schools this year, like North Carolina that had were aggressive in the transfer portal and had lots of athletes signing a lot of NIL deals. And they didn't even make the tournament. I don't know yet what the correlation is between NIL and the fact that we have a Final Four with zero McDonald's All-Americans in it. And maybe only one first-round draft pick. Um, uh, one of the guards at UConn, I think it's going to be a late first-rounder out of these four teams. It might be small sample size. College basketball is funny, single elimination tournament. You're playing some mid-major, a dentist, future dentist gets hot from three and you get eliminated. Like that stuff happens. <laughs> Maybe NIL and the portal was changing some kind of roster parity somewhere else. I don't know what I hope. And I could be wrong about this. I'm more of a football guy than a basketball guy. But I hope that this final four shows that in the future, there are multiple ways you can build a really competitive basketball roster. You can do what Miami did. 
which I, I'm not going to sit here and clutch pearls and say, but that's, that's wrong. And you could be very aggressive and bring in some transfers and help them get it back. You can do what San Diego state did and bring in a bunch of transfers and hope that you can coach people up with your, with your specific defensive system. You can focus on high school recruits and, and develop them super well, like FAU. And you could do a UConn did the, the prohibitive favorite and do kind of a little bit of all of all of them. Right. It would be great if that's true. Cause in college football, there's really only one way to build a roster to win a title. You need 55 stars. You, yeah. you, you, you got to stack dudes upon dudes upon dudes. Maybe you don't for college basketball. And I think that would be good for fans and good for the health of the sport. I would agree with that. And, uh, and I, boy, you and I, I recall this last time we talked, uh, we, we kind of thought along the same parallels. My other piece of this, I was going to bring up my next question. Next topic is in terms of that basketball is the one. And that's why I say this is the best tournament every year ever, because you, you, you really truly don't know. You don't have a Goliath getting knocked off by David in the playoffs because they haven't had it. They haven't been in the playoffs until this year. We'll finally maybe see some of that with the expanded playoff. Um, but I think that uh, to your point, um, this is where the NCAA tournament, in my opinion, and, and I think this the history bears this out, the one and done no longer gets you anywhere. Uh, we haven't had a one and done player lead a team to a title since 2015 Duke uh, when they had Okafor uh, in the middle and then they had the Jones kid in the backboard. Um, it, you've got to have veteran guards. And if you look at all four of these rosters, that's what they have. They've got veteran guards. Um, they've got veteran players. Um, some, you know, came in, uh, you know, late. I mean, the, the, you know, kid Noel, um, we were joking with one fan base this week. They were saying, Oh man, why can't we get a player like that? And, um, and Brad Sturdy was saying, he said, well, if, if, you know, Illinois had got, had brought in Noel after three years at Arkansas Little Rock, you guys would have lost your minds because he shot 33% from three. Yeah. He, he was not a star. He got into a different system, a different style of coaching, better coaching, you could argue. And here he is now, um, you know, a March darling. Um, but I think that that's where this that makes this tournament so different that and you, to your point, all these massive blue bloods with all the money and the prestige were nowhere to be found um, in for the Sweet 16. Only the second time that's happened since 1979. So you've got this where you can build a new roster and you can spend the money. But to your point, it's no guarantee it gets you uh, into April. Yeah. At some point, right? Like basketball, it just has so much more variance than, than football does. Um, you're, you're playing a smaller number of people. The, uh, somebody can be a very good shooter and one night shoot 40%, one night shoot 34%, one night shoot 43%. Um, and, and so, yes, if you if you get the best guys, you're going to have some advantages. But there, you're right. There are no guarantees. I mean, like I, I wouldn't necessarily look at last year as the failure of the one and done system. Duke uh, you know, rode, rode Paolo pretty deep into, into the tournament. They, they were a, a blown call or a misplay here or there from, from beating North Carolina in the final four. They were a very good basketball team. There were several others last year, but um, that you're right. With basketball, it's different. The other factor with basketball that's different from football that fans might not always fully appreciate is the difference in age. San Diego State's rolling out like five dudes. They're 22. Right. Right. You, 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 you've got some people with some gray hair on the, on the side. Of it, right? <laughs> and, if, and if you're, if you're a Duke or you're a Kentucky and you're bringing in, you know, three or four McDonald's all American guys, even if they're physically more talented, they're also 18. There's difference in emotional maturity. There's difference in, and, and, and playing together for an extended period of time. There's difference in cognitive development. And I don't think it's an accident that many of the under the, the less heralded teams in these tournaments that tend to maybe go around or too farther than you're expecting they tend to be old. 
they tend to have a, a little bit more experience with the lights are on, even if they they don't have, they're not quite as fast or don't have quite the same handle. Makes figuring out who's going to win hard. But for me, like just as a consumer and as a reporter, that makes this event so much fun. I don't really have a whole lot of sympathy for the people right now. They're saying, ah, oh, there's no blue blood in this in this final four. Who's going who's gonna to watch San Diego State FAU? Like if you can't think of a reason why it might be interesting for a school that sounds like a bank that has never won an NCAA tournament game before, now playing in the championship if you don't think that's interesting go watch netflix that night like yeah. like that's i think that feels like a you problem like yeah if, you're, if you don't work for cbs i don't think any of you guys should care about what the ratings are yeah yeah i totally agree and and in fact not not only that but florida atlantic who plays in a gym that may seat less um than uh than congress i mean it is it is a tiny tiny not even three thousand spectators you can fit in there um it is yeah. there, there are there are universities, there are pro major programs who play in giant arenas who left gyms, you know, decades ago. And the gyms they left on campus that are now vacant or play by it played, you know, used by different sports that are still larger than FAU's current gym. I mean, that is that is that yeah. is small it is down there. You and, you and I unquestionably have covered high school basketball games in bigger oh, yeah. arenas than that, right? Like right. I, yeah. yeah, people yeah. that are just Big Ten fans. I don't think you might fully appreciate how the other half lives in division one. Like yeah. go check out Eastern or Western Illinois sometime. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. Oh wow. This is a, this is not what I'm used to. Yeah. Yeah. Go to any high school in Indiana and they seat yeah. 7,000 at a high school gym. So I totally yeah. agree. Hey Matt, we will, uh, we'll leave it there. Cause again, I we could talk for an hour and we look forward to having you come back on again uh, as we are getting into football season and get your uh, insights. Um, as always, we appreciate your time. I got to ask you, who do you like this weekend? I think, I mean, look, I, I think UConn is by far the most talented team. Uh, UConn, if you go, if you go by Ken Palm, you go by net, you go by some of these advanced metrics. They were one of the best teams in the country for most of the season. They had like one December swoon that kind of knocked them down the seed line, but them playing at this level, should not be a surprise. But if that was all it took to get to this level, FAU and San Diego State and Miami wouldn't be in this tournament right now. So, like, I I, I, I like them, but there's clearly some kind of magic happening here that, uh, well, I look, I mean, I picked UCLA to win this, so you, you shouldn't listen to me. Yeah, I, I had Kansas, so what do I know? Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, we went with the Blue Bloods, right? The, the trusted, which, listen, so did everybody else. This We've never had a Final Four without a one, two, or three seed in it. Um, yeah. You know, so when, we've never seen a tournament where the top 12 teams uh, we're gone. UConn at four is, is the top. I, I, I like Miami, um, but I'm with you. I th- I really honestly think any of these four uh, could win. And as, and, and, and as we uh, talked earlier in the show, um, uh, whoever wins, whatever team wins, they will make NCAA tournament history. So yeah, this is fun. the ages. And I'm with you. If you can't find a reason to watch, then you just don't like drama. You don't <laughs> go watch your, go watch your prefab reality show because I, and I guarantee it has less drama than what you're about to see here this weekend. Hey, Matt Brown, thanks so much. And uh, we'll catch up with you soon. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Matt Brown. He's the publisher of extra points. Again, you can find that extra points, mb.com and make sure to give him a follow on Twitter as well. Matt Brown EP. We always love uh, his thoughts here on the show. Hey, stay with us. We've got lots more to come after this. Keep it here. You're tuned in to the sports spectacular on the Illini guys radio network. A tradition of excellence over 150 years in the making. At Busey Bank, we're committed to building relationships that span generations. Wherever your journey in life leads you, we are with you along the way, creating a legacy for you and your family. Busey Bank, building business, growing wealth since 1868. Proud to be the official bank of the Fighting Illini. Member FDIC. 
This is Jack Trudeau, the all-time leading passer for the Illinois Fighting Illini, here on the Illini Guys Sports Spectacular. We continue now with some uh, coaching news. Uh, start with the Illini women and a big announcement. Uh, guys, after one year in Champaign, Ryan Gensler is on the move. Yeah, it's a really exciting. He gets the Akron job. Going to be a zip. Go over to Akron. I think Illinois sent another coach over to Akron. So, um, you know, two years back. So, you know, Coach Gensler, you know, he's been with uh, Shauna Green for a while now. They spent time in Dayton, obviously, in Ohio. So um, this is a great thing for assistants to get their chance to be a head coach. And that means you've got the Shauna Green coaching tree branching out. Yeah, I think it's great that, that, you know, other coaches now look at this and say, Illinois is a place that they can get a start. And um, for uh, Coach Gensler to go to Ohio where he's already familiar and built built relationships, et cetera, really has to help him in the early phases as he's trying to establish himself. So I, I think this is a real win for both uh, the Illini program and for Akron. One program that uh, everyone has been uh, waited with bated breath to see what they were going to do is uh, the Texas Longhorns. Of course, Chris Beard uh, suspended and then fired in midseason with uh, some stuff that happened in a domestic incident. Uh, Roddy Terry, all I did was just keep this uh, ship afloat, got them all the way to Elite Eight. Um, never got an offer until finally, after they bowed out of the tournament, finally gets that offer and he's made the permanent coach down there uh, in Austin. Yeah, it almost seemed like he had to make the Elite Eight if he wanted to get that job. I mean, they definitely made him earn it, didn't they? Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm happy for him because he did it. It is so difficult to come into a situation like they had at Texas and not miss a beat, and they did. I mean, they were fantastic under Roddy Terry. Yeah, and, and he has uh, is a really good recruiter as well. And you look at this Texas area, particularly Dallas, um, and in Houston, they've got some fantastic AAU programs with a lot of talent going through them. And if he's able to tap into the best of that and then go out and grab what he can't get around this area, he's going to elevate uh, Texas a little bit and, and make them even more formidable than maybe they've been for a couple, three years or longer. And if nothing else, um, he can always go back to uh, you know owning the restaurant, of course. But you're Breaking Bad fans. He looks just <laughs> like Gus Fring. Gus. He? Yeah, he does. <laughs> what was that called? Pollo, uh, Pollo Los- Hermano. Yeah, Pollo Hermano, something like Hermano. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Something. Chicken Brothers. Yeah, exactly. Chicken. So, there you go. Uh, well, he's making. Uh, look, he's making making a lot of. He's making a foul amount of money uh, down there. Sorry. <laughs> I know. It's so bad. So okay. <laughs> Save me for myself. Well, two jobs that uh, he was up for up right up until Monday um, had already, it sounded like had begun uh, some conversations with Cal and Penn state, of course, then they go elsewhere. How about Cal bringing in the Stanford guy, Mark Madsen to try to resurrect that program. Yeah, it was interesting. I, I really think he was holding out as long as he could for the Stanford job, but he just couldn't wait <laughs> any longer. They didn't make a move. And so Mark Madsen, Cal, or Stanford, the legend, now becomes a the Cal head coach. And, boy, that is a tough place to win. And you, I feel like you almost have a guy like – have to have a guy who's like in a, the mold of a Bo Ryan if you want to win consistently there now. A guy who can take these – some unheralded guy, but kind of mix them and, and, and put them together and just have a system and, and win with it because, man, it's, it's a tough place to win. 
Yeah, every once in a while, you know, you get a job that really will define you. Either you'll go into a bucket of other guys who didn't make it there, or you elevate yourself clearly as a person that other schools will want to, to, to grab a hold of. How's a, it's kind of like you're, you're, you're swinging for the fences, and if you don't hit a home run, well, it was nice knowing you. <laughs> but what is it about that that program that you know once upon a time um you know years ago the jason kid i know this is still you know, we're talking almost 30 years ago but they were you know were on the move they were a, a, a program and of course back in historically pete newell back in the 1560s they were one of the powerhouses out in the west coast before ucla's dynasty but they just i mean uh have, have done so little there um i mean they, you can't even probably name their last three coaches that's how uh, not a part of the mainstream that they have been well, I actually can, Larry. I can name their oh, coaches. Um, it's just sad, but, you know, Mark Fox, of course, and then Viking Jones, Quanzo Martin, Mike Montgomery, Ben Braun, and then I lose track. But, but you get, you know, Ben Braun did a pretty good job. I thought Zoe, Mike Montgomery, Zoe did okay, but they have not kept up with facilities. They haven't kept up with NIL. They haven't kept all those things to are, and the game is so different now than it was even six or seven years ago and it's just it's they haven't kept up and until you do that until you get your upgrade your facilities upgrade that stuff spend that money there you're not going to be able to compete in this world of college athletics and people don't realize how small the world is of college coaches and high talent recruits you know these these kids know each other they play against each other they share what they see on visits and you can get a great reputation or you can not have a great reputation and just leave it at that. But it's really hard if you're not actively competing for these, the attention of these kids and, and for a draw to come to your university, um, you're really, you're falling backwards. I'll throw some names out to you guys, Jeff Capel, Anthony Grant, Shaka Smart, Will Wade, and now Mike Rhodes, they all have in common uh, coaches at VCU that went on to big-time Power 5 jobs. Rhodes, the latest, he goes to Penn State now to replace Micah Shrewsbury. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, You know, this is – Penn State is a tough job. I thought Shrewsbury did a fantastic job, but I think that Rhodes has an opportunity to do something there, and he'll be given some some rope to kind of to build it but it's a tough job to win at consistently you can put together you know a good year here and there but it's it's really hard to win there consistently in front of 3,000 fans um and so it'll be interesting to see how he does yeah that's a tough place especially when very much like Ohio State the, the basketball fans um are really paying attention from the national title era uh you know that part of January to the start of spring football and you know it's not really that important They've got to get some NIL money to help support that program. And that's another one where facilities probably need to be looked at over the course of time. No question about that. Well, the coaching carousel continues for the moment. It slows down, but you never know what's going to happen here as we get deeper into the offseason. Stay with us. We'll pay some bills. Take a quick timeout. More to come after this. You're tuned in to the Sports Spectacular on the Illini Guys Radio Network. We're thrilled to welcome back to the show uh, our good friend Jerry Palm of CBSSports.com. He's a bracketologist. Um, I want to talk about kind of really this Final Four and, and the history of this. I mean, never before 
have we had a final four without a one, two, or a three seed? The top 12 all already in home watching like all of us are um, when the games tip off Saturday night in Houston. Uh, Jerry will be there and Jerry got to start. Um, let's go in and just let's take that band aid and let's rip it off right now and get it out of the way. Last time we talked, it was right before Purdue's opening game against the school, which I will not name. Um, you're a Purdue alum. I'll just open it up. Y- your thoughts. This is this is tough. It's just another chapter in my book, which I'm going to call um, "Stuff Happens: The History of Purdue Basketball in the NCAA Tournament." <laughs> you know, because it's one thing after another. You know, that Purdue. If Purdue had just sucked, they would have won. But no, they were even <laughs> worse than that. Uh, they turned the ball over 16 times. They shot 19% from three. And a lot of those looks were open looks um, because they were giving them open shots because they were double team and needy. And the, they, the rest of the team, the non-Zach Eady part of the team, shot 28% total from the floor. But the weirdest stat is that Fairly Dickinson had more second chance points than Purdue, which is one of the best rebounding teams in the country. But, I mean, part of that is that Purdue had more offensive rebounds. But they also, they weren't just missing three-pointers. They were missing layups. I mean, they missed everything. And you know it was going to be a weird night when Zach Eady missed his first three shots? Now, he went seven for eight the rest of the night. His shooting percentage is what it normally is, and his free throw percentage normally is. You know, just it ended up being, at least from a a percentage shooting standpoint, a normal night for Zach Eady. Um, They just couldn't get him the ball enough. But you have to credit um, fairly Dickinson's defense. They were denying passing lanes. and and tempting them with open threes. And, you know, uh, and a lot of people like to blame Matt Painter because now that's three straight years of losing to teams that are double-digit seeds, and people ignore the fact that one of those came in the Sweet 16, and Purdue wasn't even the highest-seeded team that team beat that year. But, um, you know, Purdue had a ton of open looks. Robbie Hummel described it as shots you get in horse. I mean, does Painter have to shoot the ball, too? You know, or or is it, you know, is it enough to get the guys who are in uniform open shots? Because honestly, Matt wasn't a great shooter at Purdue either. So, you know, <laughs> having him shoot the ball probably isn't solving the problem. But, you know, it's it's just, a, you know, it's just another it's just another chapter in the book. You know, it's you lose to Fairleigh Dickinson. You lose to St. Peter's. They're 15 miles apart in New Jersey, by the way. So, and Rutgers has Purdue's number. So I think we're pretty much done with New Jersey now. <laughs> um, you know, but, you know, I was in the building at Louisville this weekend. And the last time the regional was there was 2019. And Purdue was five seconds from the final four that year. Couldn't get a defensive rebound on a missed free throw with a seven foot two guy on the lane. Uh, the ball gets tipped back into the band. It comes all the way back up court, and Diakite hits a shot over Harms to send the game to overtime, where Purdue eventually loses. So it's it's just it's it's never the same thing, but it's it's always something different. As you you know, I was actually talking to uh, one of my friends, Jay Price, you know, former Purdue assistant. Oh yeah, I know Jay. Yeah, and he said he mentioned that they almost lost as a one seed way back in nineteen Western Carolina. Yes, last yep. second shot. So, yep. so I, I guess that I, I guess that eventually it was going to happen, right? I mean, one seeds lose, but but is there a problem with two of them have? Yes. Well, 
Yes. Not for, it's not common, but it has happened a couple times. This, this is the latest group. upset in the history of the tournament, and it's going to be a long time before anyone tops it. <laughs> well, I'm trying to move on. Come on, we're trying to move on here. We're trying to talk about the, how bad the rest of the Big Ten is as well. So let's throw them all in there. Okay, but here's the thing about the Big Ten. The Big Ten only had two teams seeded to make the Sweet 16. The other seven teams were filler. And you know, one of them happened to make the Sweet 16. The two that were seeded to get there didn't. But, you know, fortunately, the Big Ten still has Tom Izzo. So one team got to the Sweet 16. But, you know, nobody else was supposed to make it. It's still a 68-team tournament, which means that 52 teams are not going to make the Sweet 16. But you still have to have teams in there. So the Big Ten gets a bunch of teams in the tournament that aren't supposed to go any farther than they did. So that's just the way it is. So, Jerry, do you think this new NIL transfer portal, instant first transfer eligibility, is this a going to yield a new era in NCAA tournaments? Or do you think this is just a one-off year and the, and the quote, blue bloods of the college basketball uh, sport will find a way to adapt? the Blue Bloods will find a way to adapt and they will have the money to do so. So, you know, it's, I mean, Miami's really the only team that markedly benefited from new players on this team, you know, new this year to the team. There's a couple other teams that have got transfers that have been there for two years or three. Um, But in terms of, you know, instant impact from a transfer, you know, Nigel Pack ended up being, you know, a real big part of what Miami, you know, what got them here. Um, but you know, you know, Florida Atlantic has surely got a couple transfers. Um, but you know, San Diego State is a very old team, like geriatric old. But, I mean, and those guys, you know, they're built, and they're all of those guys are built like football players. There are no skinny guys playing basketball at San Diego State. There might be some guys on the end of the bench that don't get in very often, but the guys they put on the court are strong dudes, and that's part of why they're successful because. You can't, they get up in your face defensively and you can't move them. So, you know, there's nothing you can really do about those guys. It's, it's, that's a really good team there. These four teams are interesting because their styles of play are so different, but you know, in terms of NIL, the teams that are good are going to figure out a way to stay good. That's just, that's what they do. And they've got the resources to do it. Talking with Jerry Palm here of CBSSports.com, as we call him the godfather of brackets. Uh, You know, we were talking before, uh, you know, one of the amazing things about this is that with these four teams here, the unlikeliest four, right? I mean, we're breaking all kinds of norms here in March Madness. Um, we now have had 16 different teams in the last four Final Fours. So in the last four years, there's been no team, blue blood or not, no team has, has, has made a second trip in. Um, but representing 10 different conferences. Um, you know, we've talked about NIL and Transfer Portal. This goes back to 2019 before yeah. COVID and before that, right. you know, with Virginia getting its first ever win, right? And um, right. a couple of things. I mean, obviously, you got to get old and sturdy. He talks about that all the time. Um, but I, I think, again, with all of the mega coaches uh, retiring and taking all of their, you know, their national championships with them, the Shashevskis and the Williams and uh, the Bayheims and the Wrights, um, it's a new era. And I, I think this is now the, the new world of college basketball. Yeah, it is. Um... And teams will adapt, though. I, I think the teams that are good will still adapt. Um, it's a 
the the, the resources are going to be there for these teams, but you're, we're definitely seeing a lot of new names, uh, new coaches. We've got uh, three coaches making their first appearance in the final four. We've got three programs making their first appearance in the final four. There's some overlap there. It's not the same three, um, but it's it, the thing that I've noticed. That's really a pattern. I mean, you can't call this year's final four a pattern. It's, it's an outlier until we get multiple weird final fours and that's no longer weird. Uh, but the thing that has become a pattern is you're seeing a high number of upsets. By, by upset, I mean lower-seeded team winning in the first two rounds. We had 13 of those this year. That's a record. The previous record was set two years ago at 12. In between, we had 11. So the three highest number of lower seeds winning in the first two rounds of the tournament have been the last three years. And then there are four times in the previous six years that there were 10. So this is definitely a pattern. We are now seeing a compression in college basketball between the top of the bracket and the, they'll say that at least the middle or the at-large pool, the bottom of the at-large pool, which is roughly the 12 seeds. We're starting to see some compression there and lower seeds are no longer that much of an underdog really against these higher seeds. And it was obvious even with this year's top seeds where everybody had at least five losses entering the tournament. And I saw where Ken Pomeroy said, it's the first year ever every major conference team has at least six losses at the end of this season. And that's pretty remarkable because normally you'll look at the top of the bracket and you'll see somebody who's 32 and two or 31 and three, something like that. This year, I don't think we had a 30 win team in the regular season in the top part of the bracket. anyway. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy when you think about how it, the shift has happened, but I, I think that, and just give me your thoughts here. Do you think that this is uh, some of this COVID year is a big part of it too, with these guys well, coming back for extra years or is it you just definitely have some older players out there? Um, San Diego state's an old team, um, but there are other teams that have got guys that are, have hung around and ex- taken advantage of that extra year. Uh, and certainly um, that's an impact that's not going to be long living because, you know, eventually the COVID year eligibility is going to run out before too long. But uh, there might be a little bit of that involved and maybe especially at San Diego State. You know, a question that I had was, does a, does the, the reputation of a guy like Tom Izzo affect the seeding? Because looking at that as a seven seed, 19 wins, that's something that I've been asked by fans quite a bit over the last few weeks. What are your thoughts on that? I had him as a seven. Okay. I don't care that he's Tom Izzo. So, <laughs> no. Yeah, no, I had a lot. I just had a lot of people who'd like to look at the bracketology, and that was that was just a question that I wanted. I've been looking forward to, to asking you, know, you to see. Last year was really the first time I ever questioned that. In, this is my 30th year of doing brackets. When they made Duke a two and Wisconsin a three, and Purdue a three. And I just thought there's Duke should not have been ahead of either of those teams. If you didn't want to put Purdue ahead of Wisconsin because Wisconsin beat them in the regular season, well, fine. But Duke's resume did not measure up to either Wisconsin or Purdue last year. And, you know, I I don't think they did that because they felt they were doing Coach K a favor in his last year. They just don't think that way. They must have just subjectively thought Duke was better. And they got to the final four. So I, you know, I guess they were pretty good, although they're a two seed getting to the final four. So it's not like it's that big of a deal. But um, 
that's that's the only time I ever thought one of the blue bloods got a favor from the committee in terms of seating that okay. they hadn't I didn't think it earned on the floor. That brings me to another question here. Florida Atlantic. So many people think that they were underseated. Where did where did you have them? I find that a lot of times when you get a team like that that really has had an exemplary season from a lower conference, they're not going to get a four seed, even though they've won 28 games. Um, um I had them as a nine. Had them as a nine. Okay. Yeah. So and the and the reason was they didn't have I mean, they're, they're league at a couple of decent teams in North Texas and UAB who are still playing, by the way, in the NIT. Um, so, you know, they gave them some quad one wins, but they didn't have a win over. A, I don't think they had a win over a team that was at large quality in the tournament. So you're kind of limited, you know, as to how high you can get. Now, they had a gaudy net ranking because and, and their coach uh, may talked about this. They played every possession. Um, they were trying to put up big numbers because they know the net is influenced by that. And they wanted a bit, they wanted to have a really good net ranking. So they, they always went out and tried to win by as much as they could. And it didn't matter who they played. So, um, you know, so they were kind of gaming the system a little bit. The problem with doing that is the net doesn't get your seed. I mean, you're not seeded based on the net. So, you know, that they weren't, they were 18th, I think in the net, they were, they weren't a five seed. They were a nine because it's all ultimately it's about the quality of your schedule and the quality of your wins. And the biggest misconception about the net is that your net matters. It doesn't your opponent's net rankings matter because that's how they get put into the quadrants on your team sheet is by their net rankings. Your own net ranking is a reflection of the kind of season that you've had, but as much as it incentivizes margin of victory, the committee does not. And so they're not sitting there looking at how many blowouts you have. Yep. So I, let's let's talk about these games. Final four. Who you got? Well, I like San Diego State because of the way they can make every team they play uncomfortable offensively. They just they get into you, and it, it's really hard to get quality looks uh, against this offense. I'm sorry, this defense. So I I like them. Uh, their strength and their and their defense against Florida Atlantic. I like UConn against Miami. They've been the best team in this tournament. Miami's not that far behind. They've played very well, um, but I just think that they they don't really have an answer for UConn's bigs. Um, and I expect them to keep that role going. And I like UConn to win the championship as well um, because I think they're big enough and strong enough to get what they need offensively against San Diego State, even though they probably won't get a lot. And so the question remains for, for fans out there, where can they go to see your picks and, and how well you're doing in this tournament? Yeah, I was doing just fine until the lead eight. And then I lost my last two final four teams, Texas and Gonzaga. So my final four is gone. Um, but cbsports.com has got all of our expert brackets. And then they gave us a chance to redo it at the Sweet 16 level. Um, so those are there too, if you want to see all of our red lines and you know all of that stuff that like everybody else you know it's just nobody nobody picked this final four everybody's bracket had something wrong with it by the end of the round of 32 i think so that's uh, just been one of those years true okay fellas while we're here we've got a minute here we we got jerry's pick yukon a good time now to get your picks i Brad. actually i see i larry i want to go with your dirty dozen and not pick UConn, but I, I have to. 
I have to pick UConn. I think they're the best team. They played the best in this tournament. Um, and, you know, I I, th- I agree with him on San Diego State, although I'm kind of pulling for Florida Atlantic just because I think it's really cool that they're this far, and, and I like this group. Hey, how's that dirty dozen working out this year? Only UConn remains. That's it. So, and I'm, I'm sticking with it. Uh, listen, it was funny on, on, on the Atlanta guys.com board. Someone said, well, you know, shh, Vegas likes UConn. I said, yeah, Vegas also liked Alabama. Yeah. And I, the dirty doesn't <laughs> the dirty doesn't, doesn't get do-overs. So the dirty doesn't is what it is. It's these 12 teams for 12 years. It has defied logic. It's defied Vegas. It's defied all the haters. And until it's wrong, I'm sticking with it. So I will go, I'll go the field over UConn because that's what the dirty dozen says. Mike, how about you? What do you got? Uh, I'll be honest with you. I would go with UConn, but to be the uh, voice of dissension, I will take San Diego state and not only will they win, but they will save Larry's dirty dozen. (laughs) That will be the big headline the next day. Nobody will know that San Diego State won. It will be Larry Smith's Dirty Dozen survives, comma, and then in smaller print, San Diego State wins. <laughs> exactly. And as you see social media, that will be, I mean, I will, get, <laughs> I will get text, DMs, posts, everything if UConn doesn't win. But I'm just like, you know, they, they, my boss even said, it. I said, you know, you've got to, they've got to win two games. UConn's got to win two games. No one's done it yet. Everyone says, oh, I thought this team. Well, we thought this team, and we thought this team, and we thought this team. So, But to be fair, Jerry and Brad, I agree. I think UConn is playing the best of everybody. Um, they're the only team of the four that has not played a one or two seed. Um, I don't know if that matters this year because one and two seeds didn't do much. But um, I, I'll be honest. I Obviously, I would like for UConn to lose, and the Dirty Dozen remain perfect, but it doesn't matter to me. The whole point of the Dirty Dozen is there's no emotion. But you also didn't pick a winner. The uh, field is not I'm a sorry. winner. I'm sorry, Miami. Miami. I'll go Miami. Jim Laranega, he already makes history as the only coach joining Hugh Durham to ever take two schools of their first ever Final Fours. And now he'll take it a step further and become the first to do that and actually win a title. So I'll take Miami to win it all. We'll see. All right, Jerry, I know you got to catch a flight. Uh, <laughs> great to talk with you, my friend. Enjoy Houston as always. And uh, we look forward to uh, talking again. All right. Sounds good. Thanks. All right. Jerry Palm. He's of CBSports.com. Be sure to go to the website and uh, check out his stuff. And again, his insights, they don't end on Monday. I mean, this guy in the offseason works hard as well. And uh, we're thrilled he spent some time with us as always. Stay with us. Much more to come after this. You're tuned in to the Sports Spectacular on the Illini Guys Radio Network. This is Brad Underwood. You're listening to the Illini Guys Sports Spectacular. It says the Sports Spectacular. Larry Smith, Mike Hegley, Brad Sturdy, and we got Patrick Quinn on audio. Hey, let's uh, give a three cheers uh, and a standing ovation first to Dan Hartlib. Um, last weekend uh, tied the all-time wins record for an Illinois coach at 518, uh, and so now Hartlib, uh, the all-time leader, um, just just amazing. Um, you forget how long he's been there. If you know, he still looks the same, right? I mean, he still looks, you know, looks, looks, looks young, and uh, and yet he's done with all the great coaches coming through. Um, you know, the, the number one of all in all time. Yeah, he definitely is aged better than Mike. I mean, there's no question about that. Um, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, no, he's what he's had really good success. I mean, you know, we go back to that one team that won like what 31 games in a row a few years back, and. 
but he's had some good runs. He's had some good success. They're recruiting at a really high level right now. He has a really good group of young guys that came in, good arms. Um, and they're going to have, it's going to take some time, I think, for them to put it together. But man, a very impressive career that he's put together um, at Illinois. And you got to tip your cap to a guy who can, in this day and age, can stay at any job for that long because it isn't easy. Yeah, especially when you think of all the changes that he's had to manage that team through as as the college environment has transformed in front of all of us. Um, and and to, to win 518 games in, in any sport is is incredible and, and it's a real uh, a, a real you know honor to, to see how well he's done and building up the Illini baseball program and that's quite an impressive group of coaches that the University of Illinois has, manage to either hire or maintain uh, as Josh Whitman gets it stronger and stronger. Yeah. Short walk from Illinois field is of course, Ubbin and uh, the women's basketball program look like every basketball program this time of year, going through the annual offseason change, um, losing it, a, a player with a lot of promise as Jayla Odin announced uh, earlier this week that she was going to enter the transfer portal. Look, sophomore was highly recruited out of uh, the state of Maryland um, but I think, again, there's some competition coming up and the fight for minutes in the Illinois backcourt under Shauna Green is going to get even tougher next season. Yeah, it is. I mean, Illinois basically brings back all three of their key guards, their three best players, you know, Genesis Bryant, well, with Kendall Bostic, but Genesis Bryant and Makaira Cook and Adal- Adalia McKenzie. Then they bring in two highly recruited guards, you know, elite scorers, Corey Allen and then, um, you know, they bring in players that can are going to come in and play right away. That's five perimeter people right there that you're going to have to compete with. It's not going to be easy to do. And probably they're going to be around for two years, all those three. You know, and it, it is, you know, probably a good thing for the collegiate players that if they see the log jam in front of them, that, that they can go, you know, the days of waiting around to have a great senior year seem to be a thing of the past. I don't know if it makes the game better. You know, teams probably aren't as strong as they were in the past, but there are players, I guess, who can go seek out somewhere to play and get some minutes, and maybe that's better for those individuals. Yeah, and and like you said, you've got the uh, Corey Allen coming up from Mount Verde Academy in uh, in Florida. She's a native of Tennessee. Uh, Gretchen Dolan is just a uh, – she's a bucket scoring machine. I mean, averaging, you know, high 30s, 38, 39 points per game. Um, again, against some smaller competitions in New York. But again, to your point, um, you know, clearly the coaching staff excited about these two. Um, Brad, what other changes are, are you expecting? It seems like the rest of the core um, may be sticking around for, for Shauna Green. Um, what other incoming prospects are they looking at and, and kind of what are you uh, what are you hearing? Well, they actually have, uh, you know, they're still trying to add more size. I mean, obviously guards pretty much covered with the guards that they have. Um, so they're trying to add some size in the portal, you know, whether it's a, at the forward position or the center position. But one one person who they have really been linked with and really working hard is Sakima Walker, who is a six foot five post. She originally had gone to Rutgers, transferred down to JUCO, Northwest Florida State. They won the Division One Junior College National Championship. She actually hit the game winning three to win the game, twenty three and fourteen in that game. Um, so she's a really highly touted player would really be what they need. Six foot five shot blocker, athletic runs the floor, um, does a lot of really good things that would really help a girl like, you know, Kendall Bostic, 
who has to battle inside against those bigger bodied people. And now she'd have a girl who could with the length to battle inside against these, uh, the bigger players. Yeah. And, I, and I'll tell you, that would be something to, to see because this team had opportunity to win a few more games. And if they had just had a bit more size, uh, Bostic wouldn't have been kind of the lone, the lone wolf there on the inside. Some games, I, I think it's going to really, as hard as it is to believe they're going to have a, a improved team next year. And after the leap they took this year, it might be really fun for Illini fans to watch this team, and and they might even surprise some more next year. Well, it's exciting to uh, see this team. You know, we did talk with uh, Adalia McKenzie before, and, of course, you know, they were disappointed because they wanted to go further. They felt that they had a matchup to possibly get to Notre Dame and beat Notre Dame because they played them in their secret scrimmage back before the season. But it, it wasn't to be, and it was they were undone by a six-foot-five-inch, very athletic uh, center. Uh, from Mississippi State. And so, again, you know, look around and see what you've got. And, and again, the added depth uh, that they want to bring in. Should also mention for Makara Cook, I don't think we discussed before, um, being named the uh, one of the Associated Press uh, All-America team uh, for her, which is just amazing. And uh, the first uh, women's Illini basketball player to do that um, since back in 2012-2013. So, I mean, it's been a decade there again. Um, kind of knocking down just as we saw Brent Underwood do with the men's team, knocking down some of these things that had to happen in years or even decades. Uh, Cook also uh, named a region finalist um, for the Women's Basketball Coaches Association uh, All-America team as well. And so, again, kind of the, uh, you know, the accolades coming in for the Cincinnati native and what a job she has done here in Champaign after two seasons uh, in Cincinnati. All right. We talked about the women's team. We'll talk about the men's team. And things were hot and popping all week long. We're going to discuss that coming up next here on the Sports Spectacular. At Busey Wealth Management, we're proud to partner with individuals, families, and foundations, ensuring possibilities become achievements. From preserving and enhancing your assets to securing your legacy for future generations, we're focused on your success. Busey Bank, building business, growing wealth since 1868. Proud to be the official bank of the Fighting Illini, member FDIC. If you served in the Marine Corps, by now you know about the contaminated water problem at Camp Lejeune. If you were stationed or worked at Camp Lejeune from 1953 to 1987, you probably have a lot of questions. We have some answers. You could be entitled to compensation. Billions of dollars are being allocated to pay for damages to anyone stationed at Camp Lejeune during that time. Unfortunately, it appears that officials may have known the contaminated water problem existed and did little to protect their men. The Semper Fi Code was not honored. If you or someone in your family has developed a serious illness, including various forms of cancer, call this Camp Lejeune legal support line right now. You can't turn back the clock and change what happened, but you can certainly call right now and learn your rights as a Marine. Here's the number. Call 800-254-3218. 800-254-3218. That's 800-254-3218. Paid for by Legal Alert Line. You're listening to the Sports Spectacular, powered by IlliniGuys.com on the Illini Guys Radio Network. Now, let's get back to the studio. Illini Guys Sports Spectacular, Larry, Mike, and Brad here with you once again. Still uh, here as we are uh, really counting down to the Final Four. I mean, we talked earlier about uh, how exciting this is. For everyone else, though, it's beginning to retool for next year, and that begins with, with Illinois. Um, a lot of news happening this week. Coleman Hawkins announcing that he's going to go into the portal. We know that uh, the Terrence Shannon 
um, has uh, some NBA interest as well. Um, you know, but this here's the thing. I'm happy for Coleman, considering you know what he did. He put his time in for two years. Felt maybe last year he maybe it kind of felt like he might want to transfer. Um, but he stuck it out, one of the leaders of the team, and and now gets a shot to kind of um, you know see uh, what the the big league thinks of him. Yeah, I think it's important for guys, and Illinois encouraged him to do this to go in the the go into the NBA draft process and, and check it out and see what he can find out um, and get feedback and find out what they want you to work on, what they think you are, what they see you as, and and then it, and sometimes it's a. Uh, I think he knows, but I also sometimes you get some things, maybe some eye-opening things from the NBA and say, all right, and you go back and you have two options. You go back and you put that time in, extra work, and you know what you need to work on, or you go back and just do the same thing, and, and it probably doesn't work out. So I think Coleman's of the mind he's going to go back and, you know, end up back in college if he, you know, if he doesn't get the right, hear the right stuff from the NBA. Yeah, and I think it's important to do that. The bottom line is, is, He's got to be a tempting player for some more complete teams because he can play defense. He doesn't mind not scoring. Uh, there's a lot of things he could do to get, improve his game, certainly. But I, I think any of these players should get that feedback. And if you have somebody who offers to pick you in the first round, I think you almost have to go pro. Yeah, it, it doesn't cost you anything to listen, right? Exactly. To that before you took the Boston Celtics job. Uh, it's, it, you know, I, I'm with you. I would encourage, why not get that advice to see what you need to work on? Um, you know, he's such a fantastic player. Uh, you know, if he does come back to Illinois, uh, it just enhances their chances in terms of having a successful season. One player we know who will not be in the orange and blue is, uh, is Jaden Epps. And uh, how ironic that, the, you know, the two point guards of this freshman class coming in, uh, Sky Clark and now Epps, uh, one left the program halfway through the season, not even halfway. He got benched in one game and was gone. Uh, poof, like Kaiser Soze without the, uh, <laughs> without the impact. Uh, and then now Epps is out the door. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, college sports are not for the faint of heart anymore. I mean, it is going to be, there are people always looking for um, either the next payday, more playing time, a different playing style, a different position, whatever. So it's hard to keep guys happy. Um, especially freshmen, because freshmen are never going to probably play as much as they want to play or and never get the experience they probably want. So you're probably 50-50 on freshmen. Uh, your best bet is getting some guys with a few years of eligibility in the transfer portal, and, and then they can't transfer again. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a crazy world we're living in right now in college basketball. Yeah, and these kids are learning. You know, you don't talk about compensation with one another. That never works out in the adult world, and they're learning that in the the uh, college world, that's not a good thing. So, those of you listening out here, if one of your coworkers wants to compare bonus checks or compensation, don't talk about it because that can be very frustrating for at least one of you in the conversation. Never ends well, does it? <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it's always a problem. That's right. Um, well, let's take a moment to actually kind of explain this process. Um, one thing we we should explain is that. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, guys, the transfer portal, once you transfer once, you can do so without penalty. You can play right away. But if you try to transfer a second time, you have to either sit out a year or get some kind of waiver. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And they've they've actually cut down on the, you know, they put out a memo they sent out to the colleges about what they'll give a waiver for. And, you know, a coaching change isn't even a rationale for a waiver. So you have to have like, a mental health issue or, you know, something like that. I mean, it, there's very, very limited uh, scope in what they can get a transfer uh, waiver for, for that second transfer. 
Yeah, and and I I do have problems personally with the coaching change. I do think if a coach tells you he's going to be there and he up and leaves because his pocketbook is going to increase, I think the players should have the option to transfer even if they've they've already got their one transfer, but that's just me. But they have the NCAA has been tightening up these rules and I do think that having people change, you know, two, three, four times is not a good thing for college basketball. No, or for academics. I mean, I'm just amazed at the guys like Charlie Moore and <laughs> an A word. <laughs> yeah. Remember Charlie Moore of Chicago and played for like mean? all four, uh, you know, uh, time zones and <laughs> a lot of Jalen Coleman lands literally played seven years he spent in college. I mean, and didn't get a doctorate somehow. So. He's the first guy to play college basketball and draw their social security. <laughs> and with NIL, it was a big social security. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the system, man. <laughs> I, 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 okay. I would, I'd propose this. I have an interesting thing. What if you had to stay at the first college? I think that it's too easy to leave. You have to stay at the first college you go to for two years, and then you get a free transfer one time to another school, and then you could have a grad transfer. That gives you two, two, and then one if you had a fifth year, if you registered or whatever, or had an injury or what have you. I think that would be easy. Let me, but let me. I, I first, I totally agree with you. Um, I've always felt that basketball should go to uh, the model. If football's too much, the three years you got to stay. But even the the baseball model, we got to stay two years. But my question is, flipped on the other side, would coaches and and athletic departments want to hold the kids? The, the young man, the young women for two years, because well, I think, they also now they can, they can, they can shuffle players that they don't think they're going to pan out. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's where, if you make this kind of like a two year binding contract for both sides, you know, these guys are going to be there for two years and then you're not, you know, you can grow and develop them and they know they got to stay for two years. It's not the worst thing in the world. They're getting a free education at the worst case. So yeah, I, I like it. I think it would make it better. I mean, obviously you can, you know, we do a lot of other things, you know, with the, um, you know, where we set guidelines for when they can go pro, things like that. So I, yeah, I, I think it makes sense and it might alleviate some of the complete and utter nonsense and craziness that we have right now in this world of college athletics. Well, that means it'll never happen, Brad, but thanks for playing. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I do think the other thing that is going to be crazy is there's a lot of rumblings that the NBA is going to go back to allowing kids to go right out of high school, which may alleviate some of the the, the kids who might have a, a wanderlust to go to different places or not stick in one place. But I think it is in. There's a lot of adaptation that needs to go on here in this particular sport to get a sense of equilibrium. Yeah, I want to talk more Illini, but I want to ask you guys a question about that. Are you in favor of kids going right from high school to NBA? I've got my thoughts, but I want to hear yours. Yeah, I'm torn on it. Here's my problem with it so many kids that go and don't get drafted and don't have that opportunity, you know, to ever go to college. So my thought would be, yes, they could go. If they don't get drafted, um, then they could still go to college. So they're not left out in the cold. Um, so that would be my, my solution because I, I get a kid like, you know, every once in a while you have a kid like LeBron James who really didn't need to be in, in college. I mean, he didn't need to be in college. Um, or maybe you have a, a I, I think Zion Williamson could have gone directly to the NBA and competed because he's physically so 
you know, develop. But there's a lot of kids who would just go for the, and it wouldn't be beneficial for them. So, yeah, I have, I, I see both sides, but I, I understand they're 18 years old. If they're 18 years old, let them go. But if they don't get drafted, give them the option to go back. Yeah, and, and it seems like nobody gets upset if there's a 14-year-old tennis phenom. But if there is a 18-year-old basketball player, we're a little concerned. So I, I'm not certain what all that that is. I don't think it's the best idea for most kids. But at least now, too, they have the G League and, and some of these other organizations that can prevent guys from really totally messing up their lives. Um, but, again, I, I, I think the LeBron James, Kevin Garnett's, um, Moses Malone's are so few and far between in reality. I agree. And even lately when it was getting to the point that, and that's why they cut it off and did the started with the one and done thing, because there were kids going that had no business being in the NBA or, or in the draft. And Brad, to your point, it's one of those things, maybe if you almost kind of get word that you're not going to get picked, if you don't get picked, uh, then you can, you can go to the college that you were going to go to anyway for a year or two and then uh, and then go back in. So I, I would agree. That would be great to see. Um, yeah, and, and how many kids did – and I, I don't begrudge the kids, but how many franchises got screwed up yeah. with the number one pick when they're, like, taking all these high school kids? I mean, and, and I'm not – Tyson Chandler turned out to be a nice NBA player. He had a good career. Yeah. But he was not a number two pick. Eddie Curry had some good oh. moments, but he was not a number one pick. I mean – we, we we have all these guys that were drafted just were not these and there are there are greater examples than that but just gives you that's just where to start yeah i i just think overall you're asking so much of 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 somebody especially even if you just think about socially you've got an 18 year old kid who can't go out to a bar can't order a beer hanging out with guys between 25 and 40 it just is a weird dynamic. Uh, at least, at least, you know, there's an opportunity to learn and go 40 hours a week. But overall, I think the college experience is good for maturity and and to develop a little bit. Yeah, I like was, you even think about think about how disjointed a team with like 18 year olds and 23 and 24 year olds in college is right. <laughs> yep. and, and now put a 33 year old veteran with that 18 year old kid you think he's having trouble with the 23 year old 24 year old goodness gracious and let's be let's be real serious the nba stopped drafting 18 year olds not because it wasn't good for the nba but it was really bad for those gms and owners who pulled the trigger on the wrong guy and they I mean, just didn't want that type of abuse you mean those guys that are now selling, uh, selling, uh, I don't know, refrigerators or something at your local uh, convenience or local store, yes. appliance yes. store, because yes. they, they lost their job? Yeah. Yes. Aren't you the guy? Uh, I, I was. But listen, I've got this Frigidaire for you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Didn't you okay. draft so-and-so? Exactly. <laughs> that, well, that too? Yeah, I could draft some this ice maker for you. Let's Speaking of refrigerators, Eddie Curry. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. Um, let's get back to the portal here. And Brad, you mentioned something in the break and, and you put this on Atlantaguys.com. It was really interesting explaining some of the backstory to this. I think that fans kind of think it's like a video game. You just kind of reach out and hey, I'll take this player to give you this money and boom, it's done. Um, this is really complicated. And, and there's so many things that happen behind the scenes before uh, a recruit says yes, or in this case, before a transfer happens with someone sometimes even deciding to get into the portal. 
Yeah, so what happens a lot of times is there's back-channeling going on. They're trying to figure out whether or not this school wants – like a, a kid could have a say, I want to go to this school, and and the school's like, oh. And they're like, oh, well, let me look this kid up. Let me watch some film on him. Let me figure, do some deep diving. And they may decide they don't want that kid. Well, that kid's like, well, I, I only want to go in the portal if I'm going to this school. Well, if they don't want me, then I'm going to stay where I'm at. Because if I go in the portal and then then they say no – now I really can't go back to the school I was at before because they don't, a lot of times they don't want you back. And so then it becomes this, you know, feeding frenzy and all these other schools are going to come in. So most of these kids or many of these kids know, have a good idea where they're going before they even enter the portal. And they know that the school that is on their radar, the top school wants them. And so that's the, I don't think people understand that it's not a kid going to the portal and then 20 schools call him and then he goes on five official visits real quick. And then we make a decision it's much more complex than that. And you're talking, and the the bad part is you really aren't even having conversations with the kid because they can't because they're not in the portal. It's like second and third hand things being passed along, asking questions here and there. So how is that back channeling? What does it kind of look like theoretically? Well, theoretically, um, you might have an agent who contacts someone who, um, you know, has the ear of the um, an Illinois coaching staff member and says, Hey, what do you think about this? Or what, what would they think about this? And then that person says, Hey, what would you think about this person? Oh, we'd love him, but is he interested? And, and then it becomes the telephone game going back and forth. So you can understand where there's like some problems there because you don't have that direct communication that you really want in those types of situations because you can't, um, and so, yeah, that's where it's at. And it's happened multiple times over the past couple of years. Many times we don't even, um, nobody even knows that it happens. And I think sometimes that's what people want. They don't want, to, want it to get out there because, as you can see, like when we see coaching rumors, imagine player rumors, oh, this kid's going here. Well, and then he doesn't go and he comes back. Fans are going to be like less likely to pick their NIL, less likely to be involved. And, you know, you understand it even becomes a business at that point as well. Yeah, that's, a, that's an amazing point. Well, Okay, with the portal, um, you know, right now, um, as we're recording this, and listen, recruiting is so fluid. I say that because we, you know, we're transparent. We do record this uh, in advance to be able to get it to all of our affiliates and make sure that uh, every station gets it loaded into their system. Um, so by the time this airs, things could change. At this moment, nobody has come uh, out of the portal to Illinois. Um, what's the latest right now in terms of, uh, you know, we know Illinois is going to bring in transfers. Um, what are things looking like right now? And when do you think that may start happening? There's a couple of guys that they've talked to right now that are in the portal, but a lot of the guys are not, like we mentioned, they're not even in the portal yet. So we'll kind of see how that plays out. Illinois wants to add veteran guards. Um, and you even saw in, in Coleman Hawkins announcement, he even mentioned he wanted, you know, some veteran guards, you know I mean? He kind of or veteran player. I mean, basically, I mean, like I, I want to play with guys that are old like me. Right. And so, uh, you know, and so I think that's fair, uh, you know, to, to want that, but yeah, I think there's a kid, I, I'll give you a couple names that they've had, uh, they've had conversations with. I know, um, that are kind of relevant. Um, and they're both guards, Cormac Ryan, who was a Notre Dame transfer, um, 6'5 kid who can really shoot the ball, um, just a great shooter. But he can do more than that. He's uh, put it on the deck a little bit. And then uh, Damian Dunn, a kid out of Temple, who's 6'5, another guard, um, had an in-home visit with him this week and sat down. So, yeah, there's some pieces out there, and those are just two. I mean, they've reached out to, like, I, I think I was telling you in the break, I think there are 
there's 20, maybe 20 kids mm. on their board that they've talked to um, across the country. But those are two that have kind of stepped to the forefront where they have reciprocal interest from both sides. Yeah, and and I can't blame Coleman Hawkins having to deal with, you know, people with, you know, not the experience level. And he ends up playing, you know, point guard a lot of the time. And if he gets in a turnover, then all of a sudden it's like, why is he turning the ball over? I don't know. Maybe it's because he's a four or five who's trying to play one. Maybe that would be part of the issue. Um, and so I can totally get why he would want that. And and I will flash to my childhood, you know, Derek Harper at six foot four could control a basketball game. So I like my guards between six four and six six. So let's sign them all up, Brad. Any, anybody who can handle the ball, shoot from outside, and they're six between six four and six six, get them get them on board quickly. I'm sure nobody else has that idea, by the no. way. So keep it just idea. between us. It's the first one, first time I've ever heard that, man. Good job. <laughs> well, keep, and, it, keep it between us, okay? And and for Coleman too to go from playing with Uber experienced guards, right? I mean, you know, Trent Frazier and Demonte Williams, fifth year guys, uh, Isle Desumu, an All American, play, National Player of the Year. And then you go to freshmen who don't want to run the plates. I mean, th- that's a huge departure. And you're right. Imagine how effective he could be if he could just play the four and the five. Uh, and the same for Shannon as well. Hey, we will take a quick time out right here along the Atlanta Guys Radio Network. Up next, it's Atlanta Spring Football. Matt Stevens standing by to give us the latest from the Smith Center here on the Sports Spectacular. You're listening to the Sports Spectacular, powered by IlliniGuys.com on the Illini Guys Radio Network. Now, let's get back to the studio. The Atlanta Guys Sports Spectacular. Glad you're here along with us. And uh, hey, congrats to uh, whoever is about to win uh, the Atlanta Guys third annual bracket challenge. Guys, I haven't even checked it out. I mean, I, I you know, first ever Final Four without a one, two, or three seed. There's somebody in there who probably let, you know locked this thing up like in the Sweet 16. And uh, they're going to make money without and having a busted bracket. You know, it's going to happen that way. But hey, uh, life goes on. And we still have the seven day free trial, by the way, on AlanaGuys.com, which means check out this segue. You get to read all of the pinings of Matt Stevens, the AlanaGuys.com football writer and analyst who joins us each week. Uh, Matt, good to see you again. Spring practice is underway. What's the latest? Uh, you were saying earlier this week that a, a lot of ac- activity in the Smith Center for once for Brett Bielema's team. Yeah, what's the uh, what's the opposite of a promo, Larry? I think that's, I think we might want to redo that because I, if people really want to li- read what I have to say and read my fifteen hundred words off a thirty five minute viewing period, I think there's something wrong with them because I know there's something wrong with me. Um, no, I, it's interesting. I think that with the earliest with the early date of spring practice, um, the beginning of spring practice, the earlier date of the spring game. Uh, you know, Brett Bielema has never been one to want to use the Irwin indoor. And I think that weather and the way that East Central Illinois has been affected in the month of March, Sturdy and I can verify um, when you have practices at seven in the morning, you're probably not going to want to be outside at Memorial Stadium. So they have they have utilized the indoor at Irwin a heck of a lot more than than I have seen Brett Bielema use. And quite frankly, I've seen previous coaches in this administration use um, in uh, either in spring. I imagine that won't happen once they come to fall camp, but uh, yeah, they are, they are using the 80 yard field at Irwin a lot more than just pro day. And when it's really, really raining outside. So I think Bielema has figured out a way to use that facility, um, which is connected now to the Smith center into the weight room of the Smith center. And I think it's just, it's, it's a one-stop shop for him now and his staff. So by the way, I, I totally agree, Matt. It is really, really nasty <laughs> when I'm coaching high school softball. It is really cold. So, but 
No, I always no wear kidding. shorts. I always wear shorts every game, Matt, just so you know. Now, I do have to ask a question about this, this sure. whole process here. Is this is they had a bunch of recruiting visitors on campus this past, last weekend. Does is that sell that Smith Center and the practice facility and, and the weight new weight room, all this stuff? Is it is it going over well with these kids? It really is, uh, Brad. I think if Pat Ryan would tell you, the high school administrator, the longtime high school football coach, I think he's in the Hall of Fame, uh, the Illinois High School Hall of Fame. Um, Pat does a really good job of showing them the facility before they ever get to practice um, and before they ever get out there. And they were he was doing it this past weekend on Saturday. And I think that it's a state of the art facility um, and, and they they want to sell it. And if you're going to use an unofficial visit to come to Illinois, that does not mean that Pat Ryan can't take you around everywhere and show you exactly where you are because you're already here and it's not on our dime. So we're just we're going to give you the grand tour more than once. But I, I do think it hits home. I think it allows kids to realize, A, I want to come back here in the summer for camp and B, for kids that they really want to put the hooks into, it really allows them to say, hey, I have five official visits. I think Champagne is going to be one of them. And I, I, I think the facility and the way the coaching staff really interacts with these kids in the middle of spring practice, because let's be honest, we're still many months away from them playing a viable football game at Memorial Stadium. So I think it's all just about positional and player development. So Brett Bielema can take five minutes to go over and talk to a family and go talk to a kid and talk to mom and dad and whoever's bringing them on this trip and then kind of sell them on the idea of, hey, in a few months, you know, during the summer, hey, come back to camp. Or and then a few months later, hey, because those summer official visits is when Illinois really does its damage in terms of recruiting for a recruiting class. They really put the sell into you of, hey, we really would love to have you come back here in, in, in the summer when the weather is even better um here in east central illinois and, and and you'll enjoy the campus tour even more you know i just have a mental picture of brad running around in shorts remember those old nair commercials who wears short shorts we wear short shorts and then put on the nair and take off the hair brad is is that the kind of dance maneuvers you guys do in the cold up there <laughs> mike we don't want to go here Let's stop. Come on, Cagley. So, so uh, <laughs> I just, I just see an, I just see a Nair commercial visual, with Brad wearing like, those bike shorts that coaches wear. If I'm, I just real, I don't I just have realized, any of those. I just realized why Sturdy doesn't know how to slide. He just wears shorts all the time, and it would be painful as hell if he actually slid <laughs> on the baseball that's, field. So yeah, that's exactly. So, so get, taking this back, Matt got us derailed there with the. Sturdy I didn't do anything. Um, <laughs> that was that was you, Ken. Yeah, you know, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, so how Matt? You know, coach has been here two years. Mm -hmm. How has he done on mending fences with the high school coaches across the state of Illinois? Well, like I said, uh, the hiring of Pat Ryan did a did a yeoman's job with that right off the bat. Then the second thing was basically Bielema being one of the spokesperson along with Northwestern head coach Pat Fitzgerald with the Illinois head coaches, uh, high school coaches association. So when they do the clinic, um, it is very well attended now in, in Champaign. And so that's another way to do it. And then the third way to do it, quite frankly, still in football is, hey, how many of your kids are in state that you're recruiting? Well, go look at the 2022 and 2023 signing classes. Illinois re is represented in both of those. And I imagine in the 2024 kids, if they're going after, guess what? The state of Illinois will be represented in all of those. And it also, they did a really smart thing in terms of a recruiting strategy in which Brett Bielema put his first staff together. 
you get 10 assistants and he split up the state 10 ways and said, you have this piece, you have this piece, you have this piece. So every part of the state gets touched by an assistant coach. And if you have a big time player in that state, i.e. Caden Fegan or in, in, in Arthur, guess what? You're going to get a visit from Brett Bielema and probably more than one. So I think he's done as good a job as you can. I think the next step would be if there's a five-star kid, say, in the Chicago land area, I think the next step would be for them to start considering Illinois along with the big boy programs that are going to come into town to, to see them as well. Yeah. So, Matt, I, one thing I want to kind of touch on here, what is the one thing? So you've seen these practices, you've seen a few. Sure. What stands out to you about this squad? Like if you had to look some – and I know you're not getting four hours of viewing every time, but just what, right. what stands out for you? The, the running back room has completely transformed, Brad. I, I look back at when Thad Ward was here the first time under Levy Smith and left for Temple in 2018. That running back room, he left. Dre Brown was the biggest running back they had. He's 215 pounds. He was 215 pounds. They have three dudes that are over 240 pounds. They have a guy in, in Reggie Love who is Mr. Consistent, who had over four yards of carry in the bowl game loss against Mississippi State, who's 215 pounds. And he said, I look like a scat back when I go into the meeting room. Like, and no, and when Reggie Love got recruited, he was one of the bigger guys in the room. You know, we're, we're dealing with guys that used to look like Reggie Corbin, God bless his heart. And he had over a thousand yards at Illinois in a season. But now Reggie Corbin would be a scat back. He would be a guy that would be a third down back, a guy that like you, your change of pace guy. Um, I, the, the idea that the Monty Balls and the, and the Melvin Gordons, um, and, and those types of backs that Brett Bielema had in Wisconsin, that's coming to Champaign and it's already kind of transformed at this point. You've got guys like Josh McCray and Jordan Anderson and now Caden Fegan in that running back room. They are ready to absolutely play physical big boy football at Illinois. And along with the idea that Bart Miller has transformed to the offense and uh, offensive line and Terrence Jamison's done a hell of a job. Um, as skeptical as I was and just getting bodies into the defensive line to account to, 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 uh, you know, supplement the law firm of, you know, uh, Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph, more bodies and depth wise. It, it just looks like a totally transformed team. And quite frankly, it looks like a team that Brett Bielema would have, would have been happy to build. And that shows progress in, in a year, I would say two and a half of Brett Bielema's rebuild here in Champaign. Really impressive what he's done in such a short amount of time. Hey, Matt Stevens, we appreciate your time, and we will catch you on the website this weekend at IlliniGuys.com. Not a problem. See you guys. All right. Matt Stevens, he's the Illini Guys football writer and analyst. And, again, great work uh, on the front page there at IlliniGuys.com. And, again, one more shameless plug, free seven-day trial. It's going to be a great week. All right. Stay with us. This is the Sports Spectacular, and you're listening to the Illini Guys Radio Network. As we promised uh, in the break there, we're going to look around and see what else we could find. Some scraps of peeps, scraps of paper here on the floor, pieces of paper. Um, hey, here's one that uh, we found. Um, minor League Baseball with a collective bargaining agreement. Boy, talk about a sign of the times. You know, back in the day, uh, you got a pack of luckies and you were you were happy. Yeah, you hope. Maybe they give you a free pair of shoes, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, what a deal. Um, you'd live with some people that lived in the town, and they would, you know, they might give you a grilled cheese for dinner. So that was a good day. But, no, I, I think it's, man, these kids that are coming into minor league baseball, they really need to, they needed this. Um, it's going to double salaries at basically every level, and I think that's what needed to happen with uh, minor league baseball. It had really fallen on hard times. And if you've ever been to minor league games – they're fantastic. I mean, oh, yeah. they are some of the best baseball you're going to see. 
kids are really playing for the love of the game, trying to get somewhere. Yeah, we used to go up in St. Paul up to that team, and, and that was a lot of fun. But, you know, you, that's the lifeblood of, of baseball's future, and you've got to put some money into that if you want to maximize the number of players who are going to entertain the next generation. So it's a smart move by getting this done. Yeah, my college roommate, Brian Schaus, uh, the famous Bradley Brave left-handed pitcher, uh, 14th uh, pick, 14th round in the draft when he came out, um, is in the, was in the minors for years. You know, had a wife and, you know, young family at home and trying to support them on, you know, double A and triple A wages and finally made the big money, finally got up to the bigs and pitched till he was 40, which is great. But yeah, still, it's um, great to see these guys. I think, Brad, you're saying the deal is uh, basically doubles their pay. So great for them. Um, speaking of, with baseball, um, the regular season is here and the whole rules of the pitch count uh, really worked. Uh, reduced games by, it was almost a half hour, right? Yeah, it was like 26 minutes shorter. I guess that's good. I mean, here's my thing. You're going to a baseball game. Why why don't we worry about how long, you know, we don't care if a college football game takes four hours or an NFL game takes three and a half hours, but suddenly like Major League Baseball, we got to shorten the game because it makes the game faster. And I think people get bored. I don't know. I I, I wasn't a big fan of it. I, I get it to a certain extent. I understand why they have it because sometimes it gets too slow. Um, but I also hate to see, I don't want to see game seven World Series pitch clock violation Oops, sorry. Detroit Tigers, you win because your pitcher was the fastest. So I don't know. It's just not my not my way to see it happen. I think this is an offshoot of the fact that baseball was invented and, and perfected for radio, not for television, versus football and basketball evolved on air and have tweaked their game over the years to to fit in uh, the, 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 vi- the video and quicker pace of uh, television. I think baseball's trying to do what they can to keep up. And I, I just wonder if you try to make yourself kind of like the other things, maybe you lose what makes you unique. And so maybe baseball should keep the pace that separates it from and differentiates it from the other sports. I would agree with that. It's a game of anticipation, right? I mean, baseball is unlike any other sport. And, and as, to your point, Mike, baseball was the game was formed um when the country was smaller and our attention spans were longer um you know i mean these days my goodness if you've got to wait more than two minutes in the fast food drive through line then you're mad honking your horn you know i mean you want your food right now yeah right yeah it's crazy but you know then i look at football there's like a 40 there's 40 seconds between every play yeah it's like we run for five seconds we hit each other and then we go huddle up Yay, that's exciting. I mean, well, it, I guess they got yeah. a play clock, a pitch clock, whatever. I, you know, it's a, you know, I don't know. You need your, you need your drinks. You need your trip to the restroom. You need to refill the food. Football provides you all those opportunities but, as but America gains but weight. So does baseball. <laughs> you can drink your beer in between pitches. I know, but people. Beer. People don't get slaughtered on a, on a regular basis the way they do on a football field. That's true. Because they throw the pitch and nothing may happen for like six pitches either. That's part yes. of it. Like, yes. oh, take, take, take. Yeah, I, I get it. Remember years ago at Turner Field, my wife and I, this is pre-kids, we went to go see the Braves and Cardinals. Greg Maddox, who notoriously was the fastest, I mean, he pitched, you know, even in the minor, in the spring training, pitched like he's got a tee time. And usually he did. Um, yeah. But he regular season, he did that against Alan Bennis, um, 
it was a no hitter through five through four and a half for Maddox and Venice had a one hitter. They played four and a half innings in one hour and my wife was bored. We got, she was, we got, why don't we leave? No, there's a no rule. No hitter on the board here. It's 20 bucks. Go get a Coke and a hot dog. We ain't going anywhere. Uh, are you kidding me? One hour for half a game. It was amazing. So, yeah. um, hey, another story that was really good. Um, Michigan about the, the flag, you know, listen, after, after years of losing at, against Ohio state with in the Jim Harbaugh era, they've won back to back and they're really, they're really taking advantage of this. It's pretty interesting. I mean, I guess they're, I mean, you know, I, I, I think we, if you're not in the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry, you may not understand how important it is to those people. Yeah. I, for a year, they're unhappy if they <laughs> lose that game. And the other, there's 365 days in the year. They're either happy for 364 of them or unhappy for 364 of them between games. That's it. I mean, I just, I, I don't think we can comprehend it. And this I, flag is a great example. I work with a bunch of Ohio State guys. And you still you bring it up still, and they won't even. They'll just walk. They'll just like stop talking and walk into another room. They don't want to. They don't want to deal with this. But you know, when you take that flag um, and, and that you planted on the turf at Ohio Stadium, you move that to Towsley Museum, you know, which is part of Schimbeckler Hall, and that's where some of the most important mementos of Michigan football or have ever been stored. And it didn't take it long to reach this legendary status. You know, it, this is kind of like putting a guy in the Hall of Fame two years after he retires. But you know what? That flag is going to mean a lot to these Michigan fans. It means so much. You're exactly right. I mean, how how much does it mean? Ryan Day has an ungodly winning percentage. If he loses to Michigan this year, he might not have a go, a home to go back to in Columbus. I mean, they, they, might, may, they may leave him in Ann Arby. They may. <laughs> it's, and we're only half joking about that. You're exactly right. Uh, keep it here. Much more to talk about after a quick timeout. Stay with us. When life isn't easy, you need health care that is. You need OSF On-Call Urgent Care. With OSF On-Call Urgent Care, we make it easy to get affordable, quick, convenient care for minor illnesses and injuries when and where you need it. Reserve an appointment online or walk in for care 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day, even on holidays. Virtual visits are also available 24-7, 365. Get started today or find a clinic near you at OSF if you're a diabetic, we have great news. You can end the painful finger sticks with a new CGM. Plus, they may be covered by Medicare, Medicaid, or private insurance. If you test and inject daily, you may qualify. Call U.S. Med now to learn more. 800-390-5160. 800-390-5160. 800-390-5160. That's 800-390-5160. You're listening to the Sports Spectacular, powered by IlliniGuys.com on the Illini Guys Radio Network. Now, let's get back to the studio. You were talking so much baseball, we decided that we should, you know, talk some more, right? Uh, hey, uh, this this Otani guy um, for the for the Angels. Um, look, what a Renaissance player, right? I mean, you know, he's he's an amazing hitter. He's a fantastic pitcher. We haven't seen this since the era of Babe Ruth. Um, and now making money uh, to go along with that, a Major League Baseball record, $65 million this year in salary and endorsements. I mean, it's just insane. Yeah, it's it's really amazing. Of course, he's basically like a star in two countries, right? I mean, so he gets the, the double whammy. But he's he's awesome. Like, I mean, I, I just don't – he's so much – he's one of those guys that you don't want to miss when he's pitching – 
or hitting because he is so much fun to watch and something crazy could happen every time he goes in there. And we, I know we talked about the world baseball classic previously about him and trout going head to head, but I think Otani, you know, $65 million, he's up into that NBA endorsement money. And um, in, in a sport where they haven't done a great job marketing individual players over the past few years. And, you know, now they have, I mean, this goes back to, if you go back to like the last guys, I remember them really marketing, we're like guys like Bo Jackson, Ken Griffey Jr., people like that. You know, they didn't do a great job. I mean, you had some of the great players like Pujols, Cabrera, and people like that coming through, and they didn't get the same marketing. I guess Jeter probably too. I should mention him. But yeah, there to me, there's a few natural guys who literally are showstoppers that you 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 turn the, you you leave the channel, you don't surf anymore. You know, Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds were that way. And I go back to, you know, in my lifetime, uh, J.R. Richard was the type of guy, Dwight Gooden, when he was young, you would turn those guys on. And I think Otani has taken a place maybe above all those. And he's probably up there with the two guys that I would always watch, which was Nolan Ryan and Roger Clemens. And I would put him at that that high level, just worth tuning in for. Yeah, there it's unbelievable. I think that the next biggest endorsement, I mean, he's got 35 million in endorsements. The next was like Judge with like nine million and then Trout with like six million. I mean, it's just it, it is apples and oranges. He's in another stratosphere, even in endorsement money. Um, another story that caught our eye was uh, some issues with Brad, you were saying with uh, with TV deals and some major league uh, baseball teams starting the season without a TV deal in place. Am I, am I telling this right? Yeah, well, 14 Major League Baseball teams broadcast this Bali Sports, Diamond Sports Group, and um, it, it's they're skipping their $140 million payout uh, for bankruptcy or something like that. And and so this is kind of a um, – they, they expect them to continue televising, but the Major League Baseball may take over the streaming rights and the rights, and it's, it's kind of a cable TV crisis. Um, so I don't know. We'll see what happens, but clearly this is lack of less money going into the coffers of, of baseball from the local like television rights. You, and you want local fans to be able to watch their favorite teams. I mean, my parents are retired and they literally watch 130, 140 Cardinal games a year. And I can't imagine what's going to happen if they don't have the ability to do that. I mean, that's, that's a lot of time. And I don't care what anybody says about, you know, the, the benefits of streaming. Um, there's just some things that, that, that your older group is just going to watch on TV and TV just still dominates for all the, the and, hubbub. And I will tell you this, what people don't sometimes understand in cities, people in rural areas do not have quality streaming. Right. And it makes it very difficult for them to, you know, we, we don't understand. Sometimes we forget that they can't get the streaming. So they have to have television or a cable or something like that, or a satellite to actually be able to watch these games on TV. So you take that away. It's like, what am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Hey, another uh, great, by the way. Yeah. Ba- we should say too, Bally sports in trouble. Um, I know there are other TV companies uh, actively, you know, vying to take some of those rights. So we may have a shift even in midseason right here, as it appears, because uh, Bally's uh, business model just uh, was not sustainable. Um, what is, uh, one final story here, and this is a story um, in LSU. Some, some players, some students actually caught on camera stealing beer from Tiger Stadium and then 
taking it back to their dorms. People, there are cameras everywhere. I mean, really? Yeah, you know, I respect the hustle. I'm trying to get some beer for the semester, but maybe it wasn't the smartest thing to do. $1,500 worth of beer from LSU um, and keep it at the dorm. Maybe not the best, uh, you know, yeah, it's not It's not mine, officer. Um, so <laughs> I'm not sure how that got here. I don't know. Um, yeah, so, I don't know. Not the smartest. The, the, this is why we often have those, you know, you always have those shows. They talk about the stupid criminals, right? I mean, so right. this this one fit right up there, wouldn't it? Yeah. 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 The, the, these guys are like some of the, the people I met down at Southern Illinois University, Carbondale. There was a guy we called Buckethead, and he would take people to his apartment, and he would open up his refrigerator. The only thing that was in there was beer. It was a full refrigerator oh, stocked with hundreds of cans of beer. There was nothing else in there, not water, not milk, not anything, just beer. Hey, I'll give you another, I'll give you a great story here. Uh, walkout, University of Iowa fraternity thing and go out there and there's a kid, one of the kids in the fraternity and he says, and he's like trying to take a stop sign out of the ground. Um, and, you know, <laughs> obviously he'd had a couple too many beers. Officer pulls up, shines the light on him and he says i'm from chicago officer and he goes do they let you pull stop signs out of the ground in chicago he goes no why i said <laughs> that was it so yeah stupid criminals are everywhere guys I, i've seen it my whole life i love it well bryce talata only 19 years old by the way that's another <laughs> issue that we'll discuss uh, down in baton Rouge. well so. that explains it though he couldn't <laughs> buy it you have to steal it if you're underage they won't let you buy it Oh, he admitted to taking it in his dorm room. Well, what else can you do, right? I mean, yeah. well, it's he, there. Yeah, it's never seen exactly. that before. It was kind of like Nate Newton when he had what was it—a ton of pot? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. What do you? I don't know how it got there. Oh, oh. <laughs> exactly. All right. Two hours, as always, uh, goes by way too fast. Hopefully, you enjoyed it. We enjoyed you. We know that. Uh, have fun watching the games this weekend. Um, you, you got your, we gave you our picks earlier. Hopefully you're here for the show. We will see how that comes out Monday night. Uh, for everyone here, we appreciate it. Take care. We'll see you at the same station next week. ILL. This has been a presentation of LMBC Sports, LLC, and JM Talent Productions. We'll be back next week on the Illini Guys Radio Network on these same stations across Illinois.